Welcome to this pop-up podcast series, Magic and Mayhem, Discover the Secrets to Creating Magnificent Books for Kids and Teens with the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. My name's Valerie Koo, and through this podcast, you'll hear from authors who specialise in picture books, chapter books, middle grade fiction and young adult books. You'll also hear from publishers of children's books. And if you're listening to this podcast, chances are that you're interested in writing for one or several of those age groups. So you've come to the right place. Do make sure you listen to all the authors, regardless of what age group they write for, though, because I guarantee that you will find some gems and some interesting tips and insights that you can incorporate in your own writing. This episode, we're chatting with Louise Park, who is a phenomenal powerhouse in children's publishing. You name it, Louise has done it. Like a lot of kids' authors, Louise started off in teaching, but then she also did education materials and seminars, moved into publishing, and finally began writing her own series for children. And because of all the different hats she wears, she goes by many names. Louise Park, Woman of Mystery, publishes as H.I. Larry, Mac Park, and Poppy Rose. You may remember our interview with Sue Whiting. Just like Sue, Louise found that working in publishing gave her a really solid grounding in the industry. Of course, not everyone has access to these sorts of industry roles, but Louise started by doing seminars for other teachers about literacy. Basically, writing and literacy were always her passions, and she pursued them at every opportunity. As you'll hear in her chat with Alison Tate from the Australian Writers' Centre, Louise has focused on writing series books. So these are short books for early independent readers, usually made up of at least four books, which make up an overarching story across the series. These books have become ridiculously popular in the past few decades especially. Kids can't get enough of them. To learn the fundamentals of writing your own series, check out the course writing chapter books for six to nine-year-olds. Go to writercentercomau slash chapter. That's writercentercomau slash chapter. Make sure you listen out in this interview for how Sue and her writing partner, Susanna McFarlane, pitch their series. I think there's a lot to learn from the way they work together. Enjoy. Louise Park is a best-selling children's author under her own name, as well as three pseudonyms. She draws from a strong background in education, literacy, and publishing to produce blockbuster series, including Harriet Clare, Zack Power Test Drive, Boy vs. Beast, and her new series, Debot, under the pseudonym Mac Park, with total sales of over 3 million books. So welcome to the program, Louise. Thank you so much for popping along when you're obviously a very, very, very busy writer. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um, So let's go back to the beginning. How did you get started in publishing and writing? I mean, how did we get to this point? Give us your journey. Oh, my journey is an interesting one. Uh, So going right back to when I was about seven years old, that was when I won my first writing competition and I won a book called Tell Me Why. And I think ever since then I've wanted to write, but I I got to high school and was um, quickly quickly told that I didn't have the potential and that I should think about going into education and maybe teaching and maybe preschool teaching. Mm. Mm. So I didn't know about that, and at seventeen I really didn't know what I should do. So I just stumbled into primary school teaching, and 
that journey, I think, has taken me to where I really wanted to be. So I did primary teaching for a little while, quickly realised that literacy was my biggest passion, moved across into teaching what used to be called back then, and now you'll be able to work out how old I am. Back then it used to be called uh, the New Arrivals Program. So it was children who had just literally arrived in the country, had no English, and I was teaching them how to read and write in their second language. I moved from that to... um, to working with teachers, educating teachers, and at, at about the same time I started moving into publishing. So I've had a relationship with Scholastic probably since 1989. I think my first book was published with them, long, a long time. I worked with them and I, I left in about 2004, and when I left I was the general manager and publisher of the education division. Right. So a very strong bent in literacy and I left to go out on my own uh, and I've been writing and packaging and publishing ever since. Wow. So that's my journey. Yeah. So when you said you moved across from teaching into publishing, how did you do that? Uh, Initially I I was running in service programs. There were two things that happened. I was running in service programs for teachers and Scholastic had an in-service arm where they would do seminars for, for teachers and I began speaking speaking for them, doing that. But I also was, uh, I'd had two books published with them and I was doing a heck of a lot of their teaching notes and a whole pile of stuff on a freelance basis and I just slowly moved into full-time and okay. then had a career there. So the, the kinds of books that you were writing in those early days were more sort of uh, education-based, like non-fiction stuff? Uh, fiction and non-fiction. So I worked on uh, a lot of people out there, if their children have gone through primary school, they will probably remember Bookshelf. I was involved with um, that program, uh, Reading Discovery, which was a, another massively successful reading program, fiction and non-fiction. I worked on the omnibus solos, going solo titles and, you know, lots and lots and lots of things. Wow. Yeah, one of the I think one of the most fantastic things about Scholastic is that when you work there, like most publishing houses, probably there's there's just always seems to be not enough staff, and you end up doing just about everybody else's, you know, lots and lots of different jobs. So by the time you've been there for a couple of years, you just have such such a great grounding and background in publishing. It's just one of the best places to work, to have a grounding and a sense of what what the industry is about, because you're just across so many things. All right, so so when you started like writing your own stuff, like your own fiction, were you writing serious fiction right from the start? Because obviously, serious fiction is um, where you're probably best known under your you know pseudonyms and all of that sort of stuff. Yes, yes, I've always I, I've never really worked on standalone books. I've always worked on serious fiction, and I think that comes from working in strands on big reading programs because. There'll always be ten or twelve books under a certain, th- you know, a certain area or level or whatever. So I'm just used to working across a number of titles at once. Okay, so can you explain a little bit about the process of creating and writing series fiction? We spoke to um, a few episodes ago. We spoke to Marisa Pintado, and she was telling us a little bit about, um, you know, some of the series that she has worked on as a publisher. Um, but like, how do authors, how do aspiring authors get into the air, into it, and what actually happens? Like, how does it work? Because obviously, like Zach Power Test Drive, it comes out under a pseudonym, but there are different 
or the whole, you know, Zach Power franchise really comes out under mm. pseudonyms, but there are um, a pseudonym, but there are a whole range of different writers who are working across it. So how how does it actually work? That's right. So um, interestingly, what I'm probably going to digress slightly here when I answer this question, but <laughs> we love a digression. We're all we're all over them. So the the concept creator of Zach Power, the court Zach Power was Susanna McFarlane, who at the time was the managing director of Hardy Grand Egmont. And uh, I had been doing some work with her when I was at Scholastic. And when I went out on my own, I started doing some more work with her. Once she, once she had kind of created that cause act, she wanted a team of authors to write. Uh, so Hardy Grand Egmont owns the pseudonym H.R. Larry and everybody writes under that pseudonym. So she'd kind of crafted that and she went out looking for authors and interestingly she wanted authors that weren't that well-known. Oh, this is what she says to me. I'm just telling you what I know from, okay. from her. So I think she went to RMIT and places like that and just had people submit chapters and have a look and see what, what their writing was like and to see if they could sustain it across the series and she she went with that. So. There are some writers there who probably got their first break and it was a massively big break because we all know what Zach is like. So absolutely fantastic and hats off to her for, you know, willing to give people a go who weren't necessarily a big name. Then she came to me and she said, I, I want to do what she used to call it light, Zach. And I said, if you keep calling it light, Zach, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> You've got to stop it yeah. <laughs> because because that, you know, when, when kids are learning to read and acquiring literacy, it is so critical, it is so important and yeah. it's a make or break moment and I, I really believe that. And you've got to get it right. You've got to get what's going on between those covers exactly right or it just falls over, it doesn't work. And there are, there are plenty of examples of that out there where it just hasn't worked simply because it hasn't, the, the environment within the covers just has not been controlled tightly enough so she said you know would you would you be willing to do something like that and I said yeah sure so I actually started working on Zach Power test drives and did all of those then she uh, yeah I wrote all of them I wrote all of Zach Power test drives all of Zach Power spy recruits so yeah so quite so quite a lot in the middle of me doing that particular project she left Hardy Ground Egmont and um, I had not long left Scholastic and the two of us joined forces together, which is the Mac Park. So she's Susanna MacFarlane. Oh, of course. Ah, yeah, which I thought, yeah, you know, really clever. Take a bit of her name and a bit of my name and we'll have this pseudonym Mac Park. I told my children this and they said, Mum, really, you sound like an order from McDonald's, a Mac Park. <laughs> I liked it. I didn't even I think of it. <laughs> I know. I thought it was good too. So, so when we joined forces, um, we did Boy versus Beast. That was that was Mac Park's first big venture, and of course now Mac Park has just brought out Dbot Squad, which is the next the next thing. But he definitely stays in that space to capture boys, engage them with reading, and make sure they don't fall through the literacy, you know, that literacy hole. So how many do you have? Do you plan sort of like so you like with Boy versus Beast and Dbot Squad, for example? Have you planned how many books are going to be in that series before you start? Um, do Absolutely. You, do you work out the whole narrative arc for the entire series before you begin? Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And I, I do it with everything just about, except Harriet Clare. She's the only one. So my my first trade series 
fiction. It was a quasi fiction. Was called Smarty Cat, which I did with Jeanette Rowe, mm-hmm. and we and we knew straight away we were going to do twelve, wow. and that was how it was going to be. And we brainstormed the twelve, and we went through it. When I did Stargirl, which was done under my own name, I knew there were going to be sixteen. I planned the sixteen, and I had the arc that went right through, and did it. But I got to the end, and the publisher was saying. Uh, we want you to leave it open just in case we want to go for another four. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, this is this is two years I've had this, you know, this is what's going to happen to her in book 16 and I had to kind of leave it open, wow. which, you know, it was fine. It was okay. In Boy vs. Beast, we worked in batches. It was a little different. We worked in batches of four. So we had the first four books were core beasts of earth, wind, fire and what am I missing? Earth, wind, fire. Wow. And water, yeah. yes, thank you. I just to think about that. And so in the next four we combined them to make border beasts, so oh, earth yeah. mixed with fire and, you know, so on. And then in the next four we had mutants. <laughs> and then in the, in the final four we had mega mutants where everything was just so mashed up it was a mess. So we kind of had that structure laid out for those 16. And that's been left there so that if we want to go back to what we can, we've kind of produced a border guard team towards the end, but the team hasn't actually joined. So there is an, there is opportunity to go back if we want to, but it is also a neatly wrapped up package of 16 that we knew we would do from the start. Oh. Debot so- Squad was always going to be eight books. It's a cliffhanger ending between every book. You read one to eight and it's all contained in one day. It all happens on the book parade day at school. Okay, yeah. and the first four of those are, are all out now, is that right? They're out now, yes. Okay, and when will the second four of those drop, so to speak? The, the, the next two come in September, I think, September, yeah. and then the following two, I'm not sure. I would have to go and look. Maybe oh, no. okay. But they're sort of like spread out a little bit basically from, so the first four are, are out and then they come in twos after that. Yes, yeah, yes. Okay. yes. All right, so as far as this goes, like do you guys like come up with the idea for the series and then pitch that into a publisher? Is that how it works as far as, you know, this kind of creation of series fiction like this? Uh, it kind of works both ways. We actually, Susanna and I created a little a little company called Stories, Inc., which is, which is the two of us creating series fiction. Right. So we pitched the concept of Boy vs. Beast to Scholastic. They loved it and that was a done deal. Yeah. Um, then we set up Stories, Inc. while we were thinking what will Mac Park do next. Uh, Alan and Unwin came to us and said, you know, we'd like to talk about some serious fiction and working together with you. We pitched three concepts of which D-Bot Squad was one and we all wanted to run with D-Bot Squad. But by the time we – it's it's interesting, when, you, when, when you're developing story arcs and pitches for series, of the three that we were developing – we were completely in love with Debot Squat um, and in our heads we're going to do it regardless of whether Alan and Unwin were interested in that particular one or not. So, right. <laughs> But it just it just seemed to jump out. You know when you've just, just one just lends itself really well, you're just running with it and it's working. So that was always going to happen. So we work in different ways um, depending on a publisher's needs. Sometimes we'll just pitch ourselves. We've, we're working on something at the moment that we intend to pitch and we'll probably pitch that to Alan and Unwin first. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, publishers come to us and say, you know, we've got a hole with like a girls' series, what have you got? And we'll come up with some ideas and pitch or else we'll just do our own thing. Okay. And if, like if I was an aspiring author and I was interested in getting into this kind of area, how, how would I go about it? 
into the area of writing serious fiction. Yeah, this kind of serious fiction. I, if you're an aspiring author and it's what you really want to do, the first thing I would do is uh, what I call my reconnaissance and I'd get yourself into as many bookshops and sit on the floor of those bookshops for as long as you can, going through all of the series fiction that really works and having a good look at, you know, what is there, what is claiming the space, why it's claiming the space and where the holes are mm. and come up with something to fill a hole. Okay. Mm. And to read read a lot of successful series fiction to see how it goes. So a lot of the series that you're we're talking about here are for those early readers. As you say, we're kind of trying to capture that, trying trying to get them off to a good start. So what are the constraints of this market? Like what, what are the kinds of, the, I mean, obviously vocab and, and complexity and all of those things have to be something that you have to consider every step of the way. But yet, you've still got to create exciting stories. Like, what? How, so how mm. do you do that? How do you navigate the constraints and still make a great story? It's, it, it's surprisingly. I know people will pick up the books and think, "Gosh, these are easy. I could do these." And it is surprisingly hard because the constraints are just about crippling. And that's where my education background comes in because I've been crafting leveled readers for so long mm. and it's just a matter of um, d- delivering a fantastic story that you know boys will want to pick up and get lost in and delivering that controlled reading environment that they don't even know about. You kind of wrap it up. Susanna has this phrase and I don't know how I feel about it because I've spent all my life doing literacy but she has this phrase that's muesli dressed up as p- Cocoa Pops. So <laughs> <laughs> I know. love it. I know. absolutely love it. That is fantastic. So, but I get to be the muesli, don't I? I don't get to be the fun, so I get to be the muesli. So I'm in there, you know, secretly laying all the groundwork to make sure that this grand, yummy Cocoa Pops delivers so that they have delivers reading the success. that they need. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. so that they have reading success. So that's kind of, that. that's my that's my big job to make sure that I'm delivering the reading success. So, And do you do that at the editing stage? Like how do you do that? Like in the I, sense I do it from the word go. Okay. Absolutely from the word go. So um, but once I start, this is this is how we work because it's quite mad how we work. Yeah, I'm interested <laughs> in how you work. I'm just wondering how Muesli and Cocoa Pops come together. <laughs> I know. I know. So we, well, she's in Victoria and I'm in Sydney. Kids can, you, can, you do a, can you do some kind of like writing, you know, seminar about this? Call it Muesli and Cocoa Pops. We'll all come. I know. That's her favourite phase. It, it is really lovely. <laughs> So how we do, do you work? We do do some stuff together. But anyway, this is how we work. And it's quite funny when I go off because I work, go off and work on my own as well. But, you know, anyway, so she's in Victoria and I'm in Sydney and we get on Skype and we just have these insane three-hour Skype sessions where you're absolutely rolling over laughing and, you know, trying to brainstorm. And I, I'm sure people must wonder what on earth we do for a job. <laughs> <laughs> so like Boy versus Beast, for example, we kind of fell into this pattern where, um, you know, for everybody out there who doesn't know Boy versus Beast, there's a little boy who lives in the lighthouse. He has a dog bot. Beasts are breaking through the border wall into earth. He needs, he needs to keep earth safe. He needs to keep the beasts out and put them back into beastium. And so he goes on the, he goes to beastium and he battles beasts and he makes sure they stay in their world. And <laughs> we come up with the idea, okay, great. So then we're down to the, we've got the whole kind of overarching story plan but we're down to what's going to happen in each book so we'll go book by book and we'll get on Skype and we'd fallen into this pattern where she was always the beast and I was always the boy (laughs) (laughs) she'd be saying things like you know oh 
I'm coming at you and when I flap my wings, a wall of fire is going to come down on you and you're going to go spinning back to earth with your stupid little dog bot. And I'll be like, hmm, <laughs> I can take care of that. I've got this jetpack on, you know, I've got this backpack on my back with a never-ending source of water. Really, really, really turbo firing water jets here. You are just going to be a puff of smoke in no time. You're going back to Beastie and take that. And sometimes she'll say, hmm, I need a cup of tea. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've done it. You've got nothing. You've got nothing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I win. Fantastic. I know. I know. It is pathetically just about that. <laughs> I win. I win. And I'm the one who's madly, you know, we, we get the notes down and then I'm the one who goes and actually writes up the story. And invariably when I go to write the story, we have these massive holes. And I'm like, what's, right. what is this? What's going on here? And then I have to make up all this stuff. So when I send it back to her to have a read, I say, look, you know, as usual, we had loads and loads of holes here, so there's a lot of stuff that you're not going to know about that I just put in there because I had to, uh, I had to do it. And so then we we just kind of go backwards and forwards until we have it exactly the way we like it, and then and then the heavy duty editing starts, and that's how we work on uh, by book by book basis. And it was quite funny because um, book seven of Debot Squad. So we've done a lot of books together, mm. and. I think it was book seven, I was off touring and, you know, doing doing festivals or something and I just couldn't write it and so Susanna had to write it and she, she sends me this email while I'm away saying, oh, there are quite a few holes in um, our notes. <laughs> Funny that. That's right back. Welcome to my world. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, dear. So how many words is each book, like when you're writing a book like that? Um. Depends on the level. Mm-hmm. Depends on the level. So Boy vs. Beast, I haven't written one for a while, but I've got a funny feeling they sit at about 4,000 words. Okay. Beagle Squad's probably about two and a half. Okay. Uh, Stargirl was 6,000 words. Stargirl's more year three, four. Okay. So it, dep- it depends on the reading level I'm going after. But, in t- you know, I've, I've really got to pertain. When I'm writing, I've really got to pertain to sentence length. Yeah. I've really got to pertain to... Uh, the right balance of high-frequency words and yeah. vocab, how I introduce new vocab, how I ensure that when new words are met, they're consolidated, so I reuse them fairly quickly. Soon after, there are so many. I have lists and lists and lists of rules. Wow. So, so you actually sit there with your high-frequency words and the words you've introduced and where they've got to go back in and you're actually going through looking at patterns and things like that as well. Because I've been doing it for so long, I don't really need to have a list of words anymore. But, yep. um, for example, when I started working with Alan and Unwin, I had to kind of go through all of that with um, the person who was going to be editing in Alan and Unwin because, you know, I, I learned very quickly the first one went in and um, it, would, it would come back and my nice, you know, six or seven word sentences have been turned into 25 word sentences sort of thing and they read oh. beautifully. They read absolutely beautifully, but they couldn't stay. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so, you know, that was a learning curve, which was great. And and it's just been wonderful working working with Elise, absolutely wonderful because she's just brilliant. And, you know, we both had a lot of fun. And not long ago she said to me, did you hate me on book one? And I said, no, not at all. I hated myself for not thinking because I've been doing it for so long. For not actually thinking, okay, Elise probably hasn't done anything like this. I better hand over all my rules and guidelines so that she knows where I'm coming from. I just didn't think about it because I'm so used to doing it myself. 
and normally we edit and package in. Um, so, yeah, so the publisher just gets print-ready files at the end, whereas this this still was different where the editorial and the design was taken in-house, very different for us, and it's been absolutely wonderful. But I just completely forgot, and I should have I just should have explained everything to her before I started, but I was just in my own little world doing my thing like I do, and, yeah. But there, there is so much to pertain to. People would, yeah, people would die. And how many, how many books? I mean, like we're talking lots of books here. How many books do you write a year? Like, what is your actual like? How when you when you say you know you you take away the notes and you sit down and write them? What's your mm. process? Like, are you doing you know are you just sitting and writing every single day? I mean, you know, like you've got to get a few fair few books out each year. So how do you do it? I do I do spend a lot of time writing my year. If I described my year, it would be divided into three chunks. I one chunk is writing, another chunk is going into schools and, uh, you know, doing author days and festivals and, and things like that. And the third chunk would be administration, um, doing blogs and all those sorts of things, promoting your books, working with publishers on upcoming proposals and, and things like that. So that, that, that would be the way my year is split. I probably uh, I've I've had really hideous years where I've done like twenty books, which would include education. I did I'm still doing lots of big educational projects, and that's kind of uh, that's tough. Mm, that's that is books. So I've 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 pared back. I'm doing less education now. This year, for example, I will, but I'm, I quite often work across a number of things. So at the moment, I'm still working on the edits of seven of eight. Seven and eight of Debot Squad. I'm working on a Harriet Clare, and I'm working on a new middle fiction reader, and we're developing a new proposal. So all of those things are going on at the same time. Right. So will you? I'm a full time operator. You're a full time operator, but we're also like we're we're sort of moving in towards August now, which of course is you know book week seems to stretch from about you know. the end of July to the start of September these days. But do you mm. – is that is that when you do a lot of your school visits? Is Do, do you chunk them into sections or are you sort of doing one a week? I mean, because the management of that time, I mean, I know just from going and doing them because it's not just the – you know, you've got to be ready to go. You have to have your workshops all set up or whatever it is that you're going to do. You turn up, you do your stuff. There's generally a whole day gone there. But it's also – it's quite draining. So there's Isn't that it? exhaustion <laughs> It's exhausting, isn't yeah, it? It is exhausting. But so, it's like a performance. That's why, is, and yeah. and by and large, we're reclusive little authors, aren't we? Mm, so exactly. it is. It's really it's it's exhausting. Yeah. I, uh, it's a really hard one to manage because you don't have control over what schools are thinking and doing. Yeah. The bookings just turn up, and you can either just say yes or no. So, for example, I've got at the moment, I've been really head down bum up in my bear cave writing for July because I know that I am fully booked from August right through to the third week in September. Wow. So that's that's a really big chunk. But prior to that, like I was at Newcastle Writers Festival in March and, you know, other things come along and uh, I've sort of had a, a school booking maybe once a month in the quiet months. So they schools don't always want you in that hectic period. Mm. 
I'm going to see how this goes, this this next chunk, uh, and and see if I want to pair it back a little bit. But it's it's just so great. It's so great to 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 interact with your audience and get out there and be with the kids and mm. and the teachers, and it's it's invaluable. Uh, and and I think if you don't have that, I would feel that I wouldn't be fresh as a writer if I didn't have that constant contact with mm. my target audience. I just love it. But you're right, it is tiring. Like, And, and you, you sort of get to the fourth or fifth day in a row and you just don't want to talk to anybody when no. you come out. No. No talk. And then you have to get up and do four <laughs> workshops back to back. <laughs> what, what do you think, like what would your, you know, if you, for aspiring children's authors or new children's authors, what would be your number one tip for making a successful school visit? Oh, a successful school visit. Mm. Uh, Definitely speak to the speak to the booking person, mm. and the booking person is quite often the librarian. Mm. And when you ask what they want, at the end, very politely, at the end, when the librarian tells you what what she wants, then say, "And are the teachers happy with that? Or you know, what would the teachers like? Because invariably, it's very different. Mm. What what the t- <laughs> are hoping to get out of a session and what the librarian is hoping the session will deliver there can be a disconnect in some schools they've obviously spoken really well but in other schools not so much I've been into schools where um, you know the teachers have seen something and said oh, I thought you were going to do a writing workshop I really wanted that one I thought well if you had it told me I would have done it mm. but I didn't realize so in terms of you know, in terms of being really successful, you really want to know what they want so that you're giving them what they want, as well as making it highly engaging for uh, the students. And I think involving involving the students as much as possible, letting them have a chance to talk and um, and do things because they are sitting down on their bottoms for you know an hour, and they're really really excited and they just want to they just want to know things and you know I mean the the funny questions that they come out with so to just sort of go in and talk at them for an hour kind of leaves them out of the equation almost Mm. so I think if you think about how you're going to involve them and make it as interactive as possible I always when I go into a when I go into a school and I'm put in a in a a big room or a hall Mm. I always ask for an aisle down the center and I I am up and down that aisle with a microphone in and out of their rows you know, putting the microphone under their mouths, just involving them so that not only I get to hear what they're saying or contributing or asking, everybody else does, and they know that I'm 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 in there. I'm right in the crowd. Mm. So and, they're not hiding at the back. You're seeing no. them. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. What about online stuff? Do you do much in the way of building a, an author platform, you know, online or do you, is it mostly through those promote, you know, through school visits and festivals and that sort of promotion stuff? I wish I was good at doing things online, but I just get so confused. <laughs> I get so confused. Oh, here's an example, right? So up until about a year ago, I didn't have an Instagram. I still don't have a Twitter. I had a Facebook page and it was just for family and people overseas so I could see their photos. So it was, it was very tight and it's not even my – it's my first name and my middle name, not even my last name. I went to – I went to a you know a, a seminar thing at HarperCollins where they were talking about social media and how uh, and what you need to do and I was kind of hiding because at that point I literally had nothing you know <laughs> I had a family page on Facebook it was just mm-hmm. so bad so I went away and I opened up an Instagram account and then I heard you speak and 
I've, I've, you know, you pertain to that too. It's social, and so make sure you're putting some social things on there and all that sort of stuff. So last week, I want I want my website to be redone. So last week, I engaged the services of a, what I think is a good group. He gets on my Instagram. He's looking for me on Twitter. He's looking for me on Facebook. And then he gets on my Instagram and he goes, oh, I don't know, Louise, why are you mixing this up? You're mixing up the personal with the professional. I said, because I was told to. <laughs> it's like, mm, no, I think you should keep this completely professional and have a different Instagram account if you want to post with your friends and, and all of that. So I was getting all this conflicting information about what it should be and what it shouldn't be. And, and then he said, why don't you have a Twitter account? And I said, I, uh, I just want to write. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I don't maybe, know what to do with the Twitter account. Maybe we should talk about this later. Um, <laughs> I think I think the thing uh, to think about with it, but just just while we're here having this discussion, is in, um, with your Instagram is that is to is to pick a couple of aspects of your personal, you know, of, of, of that you're happy to share. So you're not necessarily mm. wanting to share your family stuff or whatever. But like, if you have a look at mine, for example, I will share my dog, my garden, um, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. So it becomes a part of of what people understand about you as an author. So you would choose a few different things out of your life. Like perhaps, you know, if you walk on the beach every day, you might share that. Or if you, um, ah. you know, it's that, it's more, when I say be social, be personal, it's what am I happy to share with the, with the greater world about my, you know, that, that sort of, that's, that tells people a little bit about who I am, but not doesn't necessarily give away the whole farm, if you know what I'm right. saying. Right. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. kind of what, you know, it's it's that idea of, um, you know, what sort of things do I share? I share, yeah, and I share books I'm reading or music I'm listening to. So people get a sense of who I am as a person, but not... Right, My whole yeah, life yeah, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, I share books I'm reading as well, yes. but um, do you think it works? <laughs> do you think social media honestly, works? Honestly, yes, I do. Uh, okay, honestly, right. I do. Yeah. I think, as far as um, building a profile for yourself, as of giving people, of taking you as an author off the page and into people's lives and giving yes. them a sense of, of you as a person, um, and, and a sense of um, you know, who they're, who they're getting books from and who's writing the books. Absolutely, I do think it works. Yes. Um, oh wow! Otherwise, right. I wouldn't I'll be able to, to get better, Alison. Promise. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just sharing a small, small piece of advice. Anyway, speaking of advice, my last question for you today is your three top tips for aspiring authors. Well, my three top tips for aspiring authors, I think, I kind of touched on this before. I think if you want to write, know who you're writing for, know that audience. Get in there and be with them. It's not enough just to think that, you know, I want to write for 10-year-olds and uh, I, I remember what being a 10-year-old was like. Won't cut it. You need, to, you need to get in amongst them. You need to get in amongst your target audience. And you need to share your writing with them in the developing phases and get their feedback because they're going to be your toughest critic and you want them you want them to be addicted to your books and waiting for the next one to come out. And the best way to know you're hitting the mark is to hear from the, you know, direct from the horse's mouth. So know you know who your target market is. Then, as I said, go into stores anywhere you can where you can see books and look and look and see who your competition is, what they're doing right, where there's a gap, and and go for that gap. Try and try and fill that gap. So that would be my first tip. Mm-hmm. My second tip would be uh, to join as many worthwhile industry organisations as you can. So um, 
at, at these organisations, you can get access to published authors who are willing to share their advice and their steps along their way. You can get access to um, publishers where you might be able to pitch a story or you might be able to have a session where you get some feedback to help you continue working on that manuscript. Uh, you know, they, they, they have a lot to offer. They offer they offer really good courses, validated courses. So, you know, Squibby, the um, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, the Australian Writers' Centre, um, the Australian Society of Authors, established, established places. They're invaluable. So join as many of them as you can and make use of everything that they offer to you because it will help. It will help. And it will help get you out there and it will help get you in front of people you want to be in front of. My last one, I'd say, was to have uh, to have a really good writers group that you can work with. So, a group of friends who want to write and keep writing. Maybe you, some groups meet once a week, some groups meet once a month. But you have something you're working on. You know, you've got to have a certain amount finished by that meeting. Um, it's a it's a criticism-free zone, but it's a lot of constructive advice. So you read, you share, you talk it apart, you um, look at plot holes and fill them in. And it will keep you going to you, to get to your end game of having something written. So I'd say they're mine, yeah. Excellent. Very, very good. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Louise. Really appreciate it and I'm sure that our listeners do. Um, if you would like to find out more about Louise and her books, you can visit her at louisepark.com.au. Um, and, yeah, best of luck with your new series, D-Bot Squad, and also with all of those various thousand things that you have in the pipeline. <laughs> Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. It was fun. I hope, I hope our listeners find it useful. I'm sure they will. Yeah, thanks, Alison. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series for kids aged nine plus. There are four books in the Mapmaker Chronicles series, Race to the End of the World, Prisoner of the Black Hawk, Breath of the Dragon, and Beyond the Edge of the Map, and two in my latest series, The Adaban Cipher, The Book of Secrets, and The Book of Answers. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. Well, there you go. Once again, writing short books is not as easy as it seems, but it's a lot of fun. I think Louise really shows how much work goes into these chapter book series. You have more room to move than with picture books in terms of word count, that's for sure. But there's so much craft involved, not just the vocabulary, but the complexity of the story and the topics you choose, making sure you're pitching at the right age group. As Louise said, those constraints can be crippling. I really loved learning about how Louise and her writing partner, Susanna, have so much fun when they're coming up with ideas. I can just picture them at their computers giggling away and pretending to kill dragons. But at the same time, they're also quite practical. They actively look for gaps in the market and pitch for those. Speaking of practical, Louise's tips were definitely that. Know your audience. Research the market thoroughly. Join industry associations and connect with other writers. I couldn't agree more. Particularly with chapter books, it's not enough to want to write for kids. You have to know the market. So if this is an area you want to get into, make a date with your bookstore this weekend. 
You've been listening to Magic and Mayhem with the Australian Writers' Centre. For awesome writing tips, short story competitions, wonderful courses that you can do in person or online, join our wonderful and friendly writing community. It may be the tribe that you've been looking for. The best way is to go to writerscentre.com.au and sign up to our weekly newsletter, which has everything you'll need to know. That's writerscentre.com.au.